happy Advent filled with messages, listeners. I hope you're having a wonderful season. Our world is filled with a lot of messages about putting ourselves first and making sure that everyone understands our point of view and our perspective. But I think that that's making for a world in which we really don't actually communicate with each other. One in which we actually never are understood because to be understood, we also have to understand other people. So the message you're about to listen to is about learning to listen well to others so that we can bring peace and hope and love and joy and all the gifts of the Advent season to each other and also to ourselves. May God bless you as you listen. In March, I'll celebrate my 13th ordination anniversary. On the front of the invitation to my ordination service was a scripture verse which has guided my life and work as a pastor. It's from a passage that's often called the Annunciation, in which the angel Gabriel visits Mary and tells her the good news that she is about to become the mother of the Messiah. As Mary begins to wrap her mind around this astonishing announcement, she says to the angel, I am the Lord's servant, let it be to me according to your word. To explain why I chose these words for my ordination, I have to let you in on a little secret. I didn't want to be a pastor. I graduated from college intending to become a lawyer. One of my favorite professors laughed when he heard this, then told me he didn't think that was going to be the way it worked out, and re- but refused to tell me what he thought I was going to end up doing. However, I knew what he was thinking. By three years later, I couldn't outrun it anymore. As much as I tried not to listen to those around me encouraging me to become a pastor, I knew it was time to concede to the Holy Spirit. So with Mary, I said, I am the Lord's servant. Let it be to me according to your word. Thus began the next leg on my journey to becoming your pastor. In today's scripture text, we hear the stories of two people God wanted to use mightily to bring hope, peace, love, and joy to this world. An angel named Gabriel came to them with this news, and the two people could not have reacted more differently. One didn't listen carefully to the angel's message and suffered the consequences. The other listened very carefully, not just to the words, but to the heart of the message, and in doing so received an incredible gift. Hear these words from Luke's Gospel. During the rule of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest assigned service in the regiment of Abijah. His name was Zechariah. His wife was descended from the daughters of Aaron. Her name was Elizabeth. Together they lived honorably before God, careful in keeping to the ways of the commandments and enjoying a clear conscience before God. But they were childless because Elizabeth could never conceive, and now they were quite old. It so happened that as Zechariah was carrying out his priestly duties before God, working the shift assigned to his regimen, it came his one turn in life to enter the sanctuary of God and burn incense. The congregation was gathered and praying outside the temple at the hour of incense offering. Unannounced, an angel of God appeared just to the right of the altar of incense. Zechariah was paralyzed in fear. But the angel reassured him, Don't fear, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Elizabeth, your wife, will bear a son by you. You are to name him John. You're going to leap like a gazelle for joy. And not only you, many will delight in his birth. He'll achieve great stature with God. He'll drink neither wine nor beer. He'll be filled with the Holy Spirit from the moment he leaves his mother's womb. He will turn many sons and daughters of Israel back to their God. 
He will herald God's arrival in the style and strength of Elijah, soften the hearts of parents to children, and kindle devout understanding amongst hardened skeptics. He'll get the people ready for God. Zechariah said to the angel, Do you expect me to believe this? I'm an old man and my wife is an old woman. But the angel said, I am Gabriel, a sentinel of God, sent especially to bring you this glad news. But because you won't believe me, you'll be unable to say a word until the day of your son's birth. Every word I've spoken to you will come true on time, God's time. In the six months of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to the Galilean village of Nazareth to a virgin engaged to be married to a man descended from David. Then his name was Joseph and the virgin's name Mary. Upon entering, Gabriel greeted her. Good morning. You're beautiful with God's beauty, beautiful inside and out. God be with you. She was thoroughly shaken, wondering what was behind a greeting like that. But the angel assured her, Mary, you have nothing to fear. God has a surprise for you. You will become pregnant and give birth to a son and call his name Jesus. He will be great, be called son of the highest. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He will rule Jacob's house forever, no end ever to his kingdom. Mary said to the angel, but how? I've never slept with a man. The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. The power of the highest hover over you. Therefore, the child you bring to birth will be called Holy, Son of God. And did you know that your cousin Elizabeth conceived a son, old as she is? Everyone called her barren, and here she is in six months pregnant. Nothing, you see, is impossible with God. And Mary said, Yes, I see it all now. I'm the Lord's maid, ready to serve. Let it be with me just as you said. Then the angel left her. Zechariah and Mary could not have been more different. Although they were related through marriage, from the same country, and adhered to the same religion, in all other ways they appear, at least through the details Luke includes in his story, to have been very dissimilar. Zechariah was an old man, Mary in her late teens. Zechariah, coming from a priestly family, would have been treated with honor by those in his community. Mary would have been treated like any other teenage girl at the time in her country, largely ignored, good for helping around the house, waiting to be married and begin her own family. Zechariah could read and write. Mary was almost certainly illiterate. As a priest, Zechariah would have been very well versed in his religion. Mary clearly knew many of the stories and themes of Judaism, but she almost certainly hadn't been taught them in a formalized way as Zechariah had been. The differences between Zechariah and Mary, though, are never more clear than when we read about the angel Gabriel's visits to them. The Annunciations to Zechariah and Mary follow a very similar pattern, a pattern which many angelic visitations in the Bible take. An angel appears out of nowhere, shocks the person whom they are visiting, the person is told not to be afraid, the angel shares a message from God, very frequently that there's a baby coming, the person asks a question and the angel answers. While some of the details in each Annunciation differ, what is particularly different in the stories of the Annunciations to Zechariah and Mary is how they reacted to the news. Zechariah, upon seeing the angel, is terrified, shaken up, startled, agitated. The word Luke uses to describe Zechariah's emotions can also include the idea of doubt. 
straight away, Zechariah is leery of what's happening. I think it's supposed to surprise us that Zechariah responds this way. He's clergy. He knows the stories of past angelic visitations. I mean, of course, anyone would be stunned if an angel appeared before them at work. But would they go straight to doubting? Maybe they'd rub their eyes and pinch themselves. But once they checked to make sure it was real, would doubt be the obvious emotion, especially for a priest? Zechariah's doubt is even more clear when he responds to the angel. How can I be sure that what you're saying is true? My wife and I are old. Zechariah and Elizabeth had been praying for years to get pregnant. The text implies they wanted a baby more than anything in the world. Now Gabriel is telling Zechariah that God has finally answered their prayers, and Zechariah gets hung up on a little detail like age. Zechariah knows full well that nothing is impossible for God. He knows story after story of God-defying logic, yet he gets stuck on dotage. So stuck that he misses the most amazing part of the message. Not only are you going to have a baby, Zechariah, but your baby will be a special one who will go before the Messiah. The Messiah was the one person for whom all of Israel had been waiting for centuries, and he was finally on his way. Incredible reason to rejoice. But Zechariah doesn't listen to the heart of Gabriel's message. Instead, Zechariah only listens to the surface-level details and responds by saying, Ain't gonna happen. When Gabriel heard Zechariah's response, he got angry, and rightfully so. Not just because Zechariah didn't listen to him, but because God was gifting Zechariah with not just the desire of his heart, but also entrusting him to raise well the herald of Christ. None of that seems to matter to Zechariah, though. So for his stubborn unwillingness to believe the message, there's a consequence. Zechariah will be silent, unable to speak, until the baby is born. Mary, upon seeing the angel Gabriel, is scared, but in a very different way than Zechariah. Luke uses two different words to describe the state of her heart and mind when the angel visited. I think today we might say something like, her heart was racing. Mary's inner thoughts and emotions were at a heightened state of awareness as she tried to figure out who this being was and why they were there. But rather than telling the angel to get lost because the message didn't make any sense, after Gabriel told Mary about her pregnancy, Mary responded, tell me more. Mary's question didn't come from a place of doubt. It came from a place of belief, of hoping to clarify, of wanting to understand better. Mary hadn't asked for this baby. This baby was going to make her life infinitely more complicated. Yet she didn't go into flight, fight, or freeze mode. She was open and curious, gracious and humble. In return, Gabriel filled in more of the details, offered her confirmation of God's hand at work in the life of her cousin Elizabeth, and reminded Mary of the promise of Scripture, no word from God will ever fail. Hearing this, Mary responded, I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me according to your word. How we listen to others matters. We can be like Zechariah, only listening to the surface level of the conversation, completely missing what the other person is really trying to say, not really interested or engaged. Or we can listen like Mary. Tell me more. Help me understand better. Being a good listener is hard work. And listening well isn't a skill most of us have intrinsically. But it's one that will bring peace into our lives and into the lives of those to whom we are listening. Listening begins with self-reflection. 
The listening heart is one that seeks to give, to learn, to welcome, to serve. But often into our listening sneaks a desire to control, manipulate, shut up, appease, save, fix, judge. Those of us who are working towards becoming good listeners check our motivations before, during, and after we listen. The way we do this is by submitting ourselves to the other person while we're listening. We don't try to be the leader or problem solver while listening. Like Mary, we become the other person's servant. Or in the words of the Apostle Paul, we become subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. Along with checking our motivations as we listen, there are several other steps we can take to improve our listening skills. Good listeners are present, not just with our physical bodies, not even just with our ears, but also with our hearts and minds. If we want to listen well, we have to put away, probably even silence or turn off, our phones, to-do lists, anxieties. If we cannot set aside all our other tasks and distractions when someone needs us to listen to them, then we need to be honest. It will feel weird the first couple times you do it, but saying, I think I'm not going to be able to listen well to you right now. Could we try again in an hour or tomorrow morning or fill in the blank with a time? Doing that is a gift of peace to the person who needs to be heard and also to yourself. I recently tried to have a conversation with a friend who did not do this, and the results were incredibly hurtful. It would have been much better if he had been honest enough to ask me to wait. As you're being present, it's also important to keep your focus on the other person. Ask open-ended questions like, tell me more, or what makes you think that? Open-ended questions, one that cannot be answered with yes, no, or maybe, invite discussion and understanding. Also try to ask questions that don't dictate the answer or provide an obvious answer, but which instead allow the one to whom you're speaking to speak freely and share their real thoughts and feelings. Sometimes the best way to do this is by answering a question with a question such as, huh, why do you ask? All of active listening has, at its core, a desire to listen for the feelings underneath the words. When your spouse comes home and says, I rushed around like a crazy person doing all the shopping today, what he or she is probably really wanting to say is something like, I'm exhausted. I'm not feeling like I can get it all done. I'm feeling like I'm not enough. I feel unappreciated or unsupported. The words that actually come out of our mouths are most often simply clues to the real conversation we want to have. Only 7% of meaning is derived from words. Nonverbal cues are often significantly more important than what we actually say. I had to have a card conversation with someone this past year. At the end of what I needed to say, trying to protect myself, I said something along the lines of, this has been really hard for me to tell you. Thanks for listening as I got it all out. My friend replied with grace and love. I can tell how hard it was for you because you didn't look at me the whole time you were speaking. My friend knew the value of picking up on nonverbal cues. As we become good listeners, we will watch for physical cues, eye contact, defensive postures, tears, tone of voice, volume and speed of voice, etc., that give us clues as to the heart of the speaker. O Divine Master, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. These words of St. Francis are the heart of a good listener. A listener understands that listening is an act of service, 
that a listener seeks to be better under, uh, to better understand others before insisting we ourselves be understood by others. One theologian explained it this way, the kind of listening that I am advocating for is about entering into another person's world, getting our feet dirty in the layered soil of their lives. A judge aims to be impartial. A listener is decidedly partial. Listening for understanding means taking the side of the other person, trying to see and think and feel as they do, creatively imagining yourself in their world. You aim to understand their world from the inside out. You can tell when you are offering someone a non-judgmental listening presence because she will become increasingly open and vulnerable with you. If she starts closing down emotionally from you, she is likely feeling judged. When we decide to become good listeners, when we decide to become servants who seek to understand others before demanding we be understood first, we join the ranks of those whom God has used to bring peace to the world. We join not just Mary, but Jesus himself. In Philippians, Paul writes, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by coming obedient to death, even death on a cross. While Jesus was God, he didn't use that for his own advantage. Rather, he became a servant. He listened well to people. He made sure he understood others before they understood him. He read people's nonverbal cues. And in doing so, he brought peace to many. Sometimes I think peace feels a little esoteric. How can we really bring peace to someone? Listening is a great starting place. It's not always easy, but it doesn't require any money. It takes a little practice, but anyone at any age can become good at it. It requires time, but in a world that is constantly pressed for time, what better gift could we offer? May the example of Mary and Jesus help us become better listeners day by day. Amen. Thanks for listening today, friends. The translation of the scripture today was the message. And a couple of times in this sermon, I quite quote from Adam McHugh's book, The Listening Life. As you continue to walk through this Advent season, I hope that you listen well to others and that you listen well to God and that God's grace and mercy and peace follow you everywhere you go. Amen. <laughs>